I have been praying much, and I am so filled with hopefulness as we began to think through the incredible truths of the last sermon that Jesus delivered before his crucifixion and resurrection. It is called the Upper Room Discourse. It is somewhat comical to me that the first official story in the Upper Room Discourse is the famous account where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. I said to myself, well, everyone is familiar with this story sufficiently enough that I can handle the first 17 verses in one sermon. Then I read John 13, verse 1. And that was, as they say, all she wrote. It is a verse, if properly understood, saturates the whole atmosphere of the upper room with the astonishing, amazing, saving love of Jesus Christ. There is just so much here. So let's read John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. As I stood back from our Lord's last sermon before his crucifixion, realizing that the theme and the atmosphere of the upper room is that of the love of Jesus, I thought it might be helpful for us to think of the whole of the upper room discourse for a few short minutes to think about who the teacher is what the teacher's lessons are about, giving the bulk of our time to the teacher's love for his own. When we think about the teacher, it's easy to simply give the answer, well, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we put it in that manner, that is sufficient enough to fill us with awe. He is the Lord. The Lord God Almighty, the one who has existed before the world came into being by his own sheer power. He is Jesus. His name means the Lord God who saves us. And he is the Christ, as we have defined on numerous occasions, the one who redeems us from our sin and rules over us in righteousness. Did you know that on two separate occasions in the New Testament, that Jesus is not merely called the Lord. He is called the Lord of glory twice. The Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the harvest, which is simply a way of saying he is sovereign over all creation and all creatures. At the very beginning of John's gospel, we are told that Jesus is the word who was with God and who was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the eternal counsels of the Trinity, he is with God as the Son. And he was God 
equal in power and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full, not sparse, full of grace and truth so that God comes into our world without ceasing to be God, fully human without sin, to bring us fullness of grace. It's who he is. And then if you work your way through John, oh, we could, there's so much there. He is, we are told that he is the one who makes God known to us. On one occasion, he refers to himself as, I am the son of God and the Theologically wise among the crowd says, if he calls himself the son of God, he makes himself equal with God. In other words, he was claiming to share the same divine nature as God the Father. You go on and on. He says of himself that I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life. In the upper room, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His exclusive claims to be the only Savior there ever will be. And he says, I'm the true vine. If you abide in me, you will bring much fruit to the glory of God the Father. That's who's talking. There's a sense in which we should never forget that we are listening to Jesus, who is, as Thomas said, my Lord and my God, the one who will say in the upper room, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here is the Lord who has the right to impose obligations on our lives. Listen to him. Now, if we talk about his teachings, oh my. I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Three times, you can pray in my name and the father will answer for his glory and your joy. If the world hated you, it hated me first. In this world, you will have tribulation. I've overcome the world. I leave you my peace. You must abide in me. You must abide in my word, and when you do, you will bring much forth much fruit for the glory of God the Father. Oh, and then he talks about the Holy Spirit. Oh, does he talk about the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of truth, the one who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm just trying to whet your appetite. He is the advocate, one who's called alongside to be our defense to be our ever-present help in time of need. And he's the spirit of truth. So that when Jesus at the end of the upper room prays, sanctify them by truth, your word is truth. The Holy Spirit engages the people of God to answer that petition. It is a marvelous, marvelous sermon. And there's so many other themes, but I promised brevity at the beginning. We turn to the central theme, not only to the teacher or to the teacher's lessons, but to the fact that the teacher loves his own. Let's just read the verse again. 
It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the full extent of his love. He loved them to the end. That's what the verse says and means. Now, it begins rather interestingly. We might just say, oh, he is rooting the upper room in a historical place and time. Uh, It was just before the Passover festival. That is full of necessary meaning. The people were gathering in Jerusalem. They were about to celebrate the Passover festival. It reaches all the way back to the book of Exodus when God is ready to free his people from Egyptian slavery and to make Egypt Egypt submit to his sovereign will, he sends through Moses and Aaron ten plagues. And the very last one is the ultimate judgment of God against a sinful, rebellious Egypt. It was the annunciation that all the firstborn of the land would die. As an angel called an angel of death passed by each home, there would be the judgment. But there was a way of escape. There was a way of redemption. A lamb was to be slain. Its blood was to be uh, wiped or brushed or painted over the threshold of the door from the outside. And when the angel passed by, judgment would be withheld if the blood was applied. And so there was a great weeping and wailing on the night of judgment. But among his own, among Israel, the firstborn was spared. You fast forward into the New Testament. The ultimate Passover lamb. He is called such in Corinthians. The Passover lamb is Jesus. And only when his blood is applied for the sake of our forgiveness does the wrath of a holy God pass over us. My dear brothers and sisters, seated in the upper room, the teacher who is my Lord and my God, is the Passover lamb. So that you need not taste the tragedies and horrors of the justice of the holy. And so it says here, in light of who he is, Jesus knew that the hour had come. The hour had come. Again, it's not a simple reverent, uh, uh, reference to timing. The hour, he knew, he knew it. The hour had come. And sprinkled through John's gospel, indeed in the other gospels as well, there are constant references to the hour. Just before Jesus turned water into wine, he said to his mother Mary, my hour has not yet come. Later, he's talking to a small group of people, actually the brothers and sisters of Joseph and Mary, his half kin. He says, my time has not yet come. My hour, my time has not yet come. 
And this happens throughout the Gospels. What is of special interest interest is that in the 12th chapter of John, now listen to this, it's 21 chapters, but from chapter 12 to 21, all of the verses are about the last week of Jesus. A massive amount of material is devoted to the last week of the life of Jesus ending in his crucifixion and resurrection. And as he is riding in to Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, he says to those who will listen, the hour has come that the Son of Man will be glorified. He enters immediately into the upper room, separating himself from the crowd. He sits to teach his disciples in the upper room, and we're told he knew that the hour has come. And so he gives the upper room discourse. When he finishes the upper room discourse, the very next thing he does is offers a lengthy prayer to his father. Listen to how it begins. John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, all the stuff in the upper room, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The path to glory for Jesus was not a direct route back to his Father. It would be through the suffering and pain and sin-bearing wrath-absorbing death of Jesus on the cross, then he would be raised from the dead. Only then would he go back to the Father, ascend to the Father. So at this moment, the hour has come. The supreme hour, the ultimate hour, no hour in history will ever surpass in terms of greatness and accomplishment this hour. The hour of the cross. But the verse actually says Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world to go to the Father. Jesus Christ came into this world. And you can best believe he knew what kind of world he was coming into. He was coming into a fallen world. A God-rejecting world. A world where all the people in the world were living in disobedience to God and rebellion against Him, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He was entering into a world lost in its sinfulness. And He had come into this world to die for the world. You remember this verse? I know you do. For God so loved the world, this sinful, lost, God-cursing, rebelling against world, that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, to rescue us from perishing and give us eternal life. Did Jesus love the world? Behold, John the Baptist cries, look at, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would bear the sin of the world upon himself on the cross. 
He came into this world to deal with the rebellion of the world. And he's going to do that. He's going to go to the cross, and then he will go back to his father to reign as supreme king forever and ever. And then it says, having loved his own. No doubt you picture in your mind the world. Yes, Jesus loved the world. We've just underscored the reality. But it doesn't say world here. It says having loved his, his own. His own. Jesus has love in his heart for the world. But there is a special love, a unique love, a saving love that he has for his own. For those who believe in him and for those who follow him. A husband can have love for many, but his love for his wife is to be a unique, a sacred love. Jesus loved his own who are in the world. When Jesus talks about his love for his own in the 16th of, in, in, the, in the book of John, in the 10th chapter of John, he says, I know my sheep. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep, for my own. In the upper room, he'll look the disciples in the face and he will say, greater love has no one than this, than that he lays down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends. For his friends. For his own sheep. And it says, for all those who believe in him, what? Belong to him. And in John's gospel, we're told at the very beginning that those who believe in Christ become the children of God. My sheep, my friends, my father's children. The Lord God Almighty, who is Jesus, is looking upon his people now. I will love you with a love that will never let you go. And so he says, I'll, I'll love you to the end. It, it's, it's an interesting word. One commentator is exactly right. He says, end equals forever. I, I believe that. But the word actually means I love you to the uttermost. I love you with the full extent, with the full expression of my love. There was never a moment in his long three-year ministry that Jesus failed even for a nanosecond, if there is such a thing, to love his own. Toward the end of John 13, one of the great tragedies of any passage you will ever read in the Bible, Judas is dismissed by Jesus for his heart was one of a betrayer. And at the end of the narrative on Judas, John simply writes, as Judas is walking out the door, and it was night. It's a double meaning. He's just not saying the sun had gone down. The dark 
night of God's wrath would be on Judas. But having loved his own, he loved them to the uttermost. And the Passover lamb will indeed pass over. The, the Passover death angel will indeed pass over for the blood of the lamb was applied. In a few hours for those in the upper room. And it has been applied for you. So that's the verse. Let's see if we can harness a couple of applications that will appropriately bring us to the table. Here is the first. Jesus loved his own to the end of his own life. All the way up to that moment until the very dying of Jesus, he loved his own. And the ultimate expression of the love of Jesus for his people is that it is a sacrificial love. Because Jesus would return to his Father through the cross. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Revelation 1 verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I want you to be sure that you understand Jesus knew why he was going to the cross. He knew the hour had come for the cross. He knew why the cross was necessary. You know why? He knew all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus was an Old Testament biblical scholar. And Jesus in his own mind could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 after humanity fell in its sin, there is a messianic prophecy that one sentence of it reads, he will crush your head. You will wound his feet. God is speaking to Satan. There's coming one who will crush your head, will give you the fatal blow. The best you will be able to do is hurt his heel. Well, the cross of Jesus Christ looked like more than an injury to the bottom of your foot. But in comparison to the fatal blow given to the enemy, Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus knew the prophecy how someday the one suffering for the sins of the people will shout out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 1. When Jesus goes into the night himself, into the darkness, to suffer the damnation owed to sinners, he would cry, why have you abandoned me into this God-forsakenness? knowing the answer that he might absorb the wrath of God in our place, that we might go free in grace. And Jesus knew this prophecy. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. 
But he, that is the one that will someday be crucified 800 years before the crucifixion. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus knew that he was responsible to crush the head of Satan to endure God-forsakenness that we might never be forsaken, that all of our sins would be put on Him, that He gets our punishment, that we may get His peace. He knew. And we know He knew because of Gethsemane. I read it this morning. I decided early this morning to put it in my sermon, and then I read something that I... Have you ever, I had someone say to me this morning, I hadn't seen this before in the Bible. That's true of all of us. I was reading Gethsemane. Jesus goes into the garden. He asks his disciples to stay and pray. He goes a little distance away. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but you, your will be done. And the cup is a referral back to the Old Testament. It is the cup of wrath, the cup of wrath, that he must drink to the bitter dregs. And then he goes a second time and prays the same thing. Father, and he goes a third time. And his disciples are asleep. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And then this morning I read these words. I don't know. He goes back to his disciples and he says, Look, the hour has come. Look, guys, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And only a matter of minutes later, Jesus, Judas, the betrayer, is with the crowd of soldiers to take him away for crucifixion. The hour came. He knew exactly why he was going to the cross. To get salvation for us. The hour has come for some of you. The hour has come for you to believe that the hour that came for him was for you. It's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. His hour came for you. And this needs to be your hour to come to Him. Secondly, Jesus loved His own, not only to the end of His own life, but to the end of their lives. Jesus did ascend to reign in supremacy at the highest pinnacle in the universe, to be their Lord and God who would love them and guide them 
all the way into eternity. In the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, when the upper room discourse is about to close off, Jesus is praying to his Father, and he prays toward the end, Father, let those who believe in me see my glory. The glory that I had with you before the creation of the world. It's a way of saying, God, those who are my own, let them see my glory in heaven someday. You and me ought to be eternally grateful that when Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, the Father said no. Because he will answer this petition. That he will so love us that someday we will see his glory. So you might say it like this as we wrap up. The love of Jesus is a sacrificial love. It's an eternal love. And one more thing. It's a faithful love. He loved you at the cross. He will love you and take you into eternity and love you forever. And in the space between, He will always love you. One truth that I often like to say, and I close with it, is if you were to ask the question today, how do I know if Jesus loves me? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a great answer. How do you know Jesus loves you? The only answer the Bible actually gives is because he loved you. Listen to Romans 8.37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Referring to a past love at a specific point in time. For in the ultimate hour, he loved us with sin-bearing, wrath-absorbing death so that he might love us forever. It's interesting that verse in Revelation 1 verse 5, the middle part of it says, to him who loves present us, but then listen to what comes next and has freed us. Freed, past tense. When did he free us? He freed us, the verse says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Shed on the cross. So the law for Jesus, his own, is not fickle, uncertain, capricious love. His love is endurable, constant, and stable. It is radically passionate and exuberant. The love of Jesus for us is unchanging, unending, and unfailing. To him who loved us, Let's pray. So, Father, in these holy moments, we come to you.
to sit around this table to remember, to never forget that there came a day when you gave the world your love gift. And there came a day when that love gift, which is the Lamb of God, died for the sins of the world. And your own are those who believe that reality. Thank you that you will love us to the end, that you will love us to the uttermost and to the full extent of your love. Amen.